the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Hey, friends, welcome to The Common Good here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life, alongside Aubrey Sampson. My name is Brian Fromm. So glad to have you with us today. Uh, I saw a tweet just the other day that asked this, what are the top five regrets of the dying? As people know that they are dying, as people kind of get to the end of their life, uh, what are the things people say are their regrets? This is from the Guardian News report entitled Top Five Regrets of the Dying. Uh, but Aubrey, I found this interesting, and here's why I think this is important. We talk about this a lot on this show, uh, because you don't want to get to the end of your life and have regret, right? You want to get to the end of your life and you go, yep, oh, exactly. I focused on the right thing. Yep. I did the right things. Yep. Uh, but in order to get this might sound really obvious in order to be at that point at the end of your life, you actually have to orient your life now in such a way as to live that out. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes that makes total sense. We have talked about that before. Like if you think about your your the 85th birthday party, what do you want your life to have been? What do you want people to be mm-hmm. you know, celebrating you for? But yes, you have to begin that now. You're not just going to accidentally fall into the things you want to do. You have to have some intentionality. A little easier said than done, but Absolutely. that's the truth. Now, I want to point out that this list is not from a Christian perspective. So this is actually top five regrets, generally speaking. And, and I, I wonder how this lands. Uh, for when we are people of faith going, okay, how does that play into it? So let me just, I'm going to work the list from five to one and just get your feedback. Okay, here we go. Okay, here we go. Number five on this list. I wish that I had let myself, I think that's the key word, let myself be happier. What do you think that regret is saying? Oh, interesting. Like maybe I wish I hadn't taken things so seriously. Yeah. Uh, Wish I would have. We've talked about this on the show before. Invited a little bit of... um, delight and play into mm-hmm, our lives mm-hmm. especially with like the tyranny of the urgent it's hard to do that and i wonder if it's about too like i maybe been not so hard on myself yeah something something like that just let myself enjoy and laugh at myself a little bit not take myself too seriously that's I, what comes to mind i think that's the way to put it i think we do so many things in our lives where we get so worked up and this is the most serious thing in the world when you have a little perspective, you go, you know what? Maybe that wasn't the biggest yeah. deal in the world. Maybe I should have spent more time going for a walk or laughing or yeah. whatever. All right, that's number five. Number okay. four, I wish I had stayed in touch with my friends. Now, this one's interesting to me because I, I feel like in this day and age when you can be overly connected to your friends, some of us are like wanting the opposite. But this seems like the friends that were my really good friends that sort of just because of season of life the friendship faded yeah. away. Like maybe nothing happened, mm-hmm. but, but I wish I had been, there's some intentionality here. I, I wish I had been more intentional about connecting with my friends over my lifetime. You, I don't know if you feel this way, but I certainly have some people, some, some guys who were my best friends in college. Yeah. We still talk, we still connect, but I can think of one guy in general, like every time we talk, we're like, Hey, let's get together soon. Yeah. It's been 
two years, three years. I think that's what this is getting at. So it's not I want to know more about my friends, right? It's not just be connected with Facebook friends. You're more just that's an information thing, right? Like I'm getting information about my friends. But this idea of like I stayed like that friend might Mm -hmm. be mine from my 20s or from Mm -hmm. my childhood. But but we stayed friends. Like We were there. I, I, I feel that one. I think I do. Number three. I'd wish I'd had the courage to express my feelings. How do you feel about that one? This one's interesting because I'm going to tell you the negative side of this. I had somebody from my past recently reach out to me and in a very, I thought, inappropriate, unhealthy way, tell me that he was going through a divorce. And one of the things he was learning in his therapy was it's time to express feelings. He never expressed. And one of those was, I always had feelings for you. Oh, well, that's not appropriate to say to a married woman too. Mm -mm. That's not actually true because we haven't talked in three decades. You don't know me. I don't know you. Can we get this guy in the show? Yeah. Yeah. For, I think there are times when it's not, our feelings are not the end all be all. Mm. And I actually think sometimes we don't need to express all of those feelings because they're not healthy. So I, Interesting. That's the negative side. That's the, maybe the darker side. I guess the positive side would be if there are things that you kept inside and you weren't always yourself, you know, or if it's like you aren't telling your loved ones how much you love them. That's right. And you, you think it, but you don't say it. You aren't complimenting your kids as much as you are. You're so proud of them. You don't remember. You love your spouse so much, but it's easy to take advantage of them. Like verbalizing those encouraging things to your loved ones. That makes sense to me. Now I'm there. I get it. Yes. We're going to circle back to that story at another time. A little inappropriate. <laughs> we're gonna, maybe next time we have Kevin on, we're going to circle back to that story. I said, Kevin, what do you think about this? He was like, did you block him? I was like, yep, <laughs> did done, you block done him? and done. Can I get his number? <laughs> number two, we're top five regrets of the dying we're talking about. Uh, number two, I wish I hadn't worked so hard. Wow. This is fascinating to me because I feel like you do hear this list a lot on regrets of the dying. I wish I would have spent more time with my family, spent Mm -hmm. more time with my loved ones, not focus on work so much. And it's weird because I don't know, Brian, when you're at our age, I feel like all I should be focusing on is work Mm -hmm. and like making a future and making sure we're our kids are set up financially for the future, for college, et cetera. Like it feels like I don't know how not to work so hard, frankly, but you hear that refrain all the time when mm-hmm. people are looking back on their lives. So that seems to be one that we need to take seriously for yeah, sure. Absolutely. Um, I, and I don't think this is against hard work. I think this is against I prioritized That's working it. Above my family, right? Cats in the Cradle. We always joke about that song. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But that's kind of the feel here is, um, yeah, Cats in the Cradle. Like, I wish I had my priority yeah. set. Okay, number one. Here it is. Okay, let's hear it. And again, this is from a non-Christian view, but I do think this, it's still going to stand. I wish I'd had the courage to live a life true to myself. Mm. Not, I think here's the important part, not the life others expected of me. Wow. What do you think about that one? What's going on there? Oh, I have a lot of mixed feelings about about this one. Because some of this, I guess I can see the positive and the negative of some of these. Some of this is a little bit of the like... You do you, mm-hmm. you live your own truth. Yes. You it's even going back to the express my feelings, you kind of that idol of self-expression or that idol of like, I'm going to live my truth no matter what people think. That's not always really healthy. Yep. Right. However, those of us who live kind of 
feeling insecure or covered in shame or embarrassed to let people see the true version of us. There is some beauty in that, too. Like mm-hmm. the flip side of that is being the person God created you to be boldly and courageously. That's right. That's and right. so I I can see this both ways. So if I'm going to spin it in a positive way, uh, I wish I had the courage to live a life true to myself or true to who God created mm-hmm. me to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think that's I, I, that makes a lot of sense to me that you'd have regret not doing that. Hopefully, starting now, uh, we can be people who are like, Lord, just help me live into who you've made me. That's right. That's right. I think this is helpful. Top five regrets of the dying. It, it's a heavy topic. It's somewhat dark, but none of us want to end up at the end of our lives regretful. And especially yeah. we as Christians, what does that mean for how we live our life now so that we don't end up at the end of our lives living with regret. I think it's a super important question, even if it's an uncomfortable one. That's right. Coming up next, Dr. Richard Hamlet. He's the founder and president of Global Ministries Foundation, also the host of Ministry in the Marketplace. Dr. Hamlet is going to join us next here on The Common Good. AM 1160, hope for your life. Hey friends, welcome back to The Common Good here on AIM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Aubrey Sampson, my name is Brian Fromm. And Aubrey and I are excited to be joined by a teammate and ministry partner here on AIM 1160. That's Dr. Richard Hamlet. And Dr. Hamlet is the founder and president of Global Ministries Foundation and the host of Ministry in the Marketplace. Uh, you can hear Ministry in the Marketplace with Dr. Hamlet on Sundays at 9.30 a.m. right here again on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Dr. Hamlet, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. I pray that y'all are doing well. We are doing well. Thanks so much for joining us. Let's just start uh, personal. Tell us more about yourself, and in particular, tell us a little bit more about your faith story. Well, uh, I was born in Memphis, Tennessee, which is still our, our my home and, uh, and our headquarters here for the ministry. And uh, I have a wife and uh, three adult children and two grandchildren. And uh, the Lord has uh, been gracious to me. Uh, when I was 10 years old, uh, I, would, I was at a Billy Graham crusade and uh, heard the gospel clearly uh, as a 10-year-old and uh, knew scripture before that, raised in a Christian home. But that was the, the night that the Holy Spirit uh, convicted me of my sin and my need for a Savior. And mm. that night uh, I repented. I, I gave as much as myself about myself and my sin to Jesus, and I trusted in Him as the, the, mo- as the most I knew about Him. So mm. it was a wonderful exchange, and that was 50 years ago. Wow. And my, how time flies. Amen. Oh, amen. And Dr. Hamlet, through Global Ministries Foundation, we know that you've traveled around the, the world to speak would just yes. love to hear, you know, a story or two about how you've seen God at work as you've shared the gospel in different places. Well, let me give you a couple places that will be of interest, uh, like Russia and Ukraine. Oh, oh yeah, wow. there you uh, go. R- right before COVID, the last the last three countries that I was in before the COVID travel shutdown was Ukraine, Russia, and Belarus. No way. One, two, three. Mm, yes. Wow. And we were we had permission to go over there, and uh, it actually had visas for uh, Christian education, so I was actually able to preach the gospel 
clearly uh, within uh, the marketplace there in some some uh, confined areas, not in the outdoors, but uh, different places. And uh, I, one of the things that I was meditating on this morning is I was seeing our friends in in Kiev getting bombed. Is uh, the, the the young man that was there uh, at one of the meetings who was a pagan uh, and uh, he knew he knew Ukrainian and he had never heard the gospel before. And there were about a hundred men and women in a restaurant. And, and we had some music, and we had church members, evangelical churches there, which are small, invite each person, invite a lost person. And I preached the gospel, and this young man, at the end, he stood up and he said, you know, uh, I, what I heard today seems like it's too good to be true. Mm. And, I, of course, he was being translated into English. He was speaking in, in Ukrainian. And he said, but, you know, today uh, I saw my need for Christ, and uh, God is holy, and I'm not. And so he said, I've believed and repented of my sins. Mm. And I just remember when I heard that, uh, the tears that overwhelmed me. Mm. Uh, and, and I don't know where he is. That was two years ago, but I was praying for him. And, and many that actually committed their lives to follow Jesus yeah. Yeah. Uh, within those, uh, you know, confined private meetings uh, within that, you know, culturally closed country to the gospel. Mm. Mm. That's so powerful. And then, then we were in Russia, uh, actually at, on the Black Sea, down uh, not too far from Crimea, if you look at the map and the activity there. Crimea used to be in Ukraine, and in 2014, Putin came and took it back uh, to Russia, and we had pastors and evangelists down at the Black Sea in, uh, in a place called Anapi, which you can see on the map down there. It's a port city. And we were training pastors and church leaders uh, in biblical preaching and teaching. And uh, I remember uh, we were having a special meeting, and again, once again, there was a young lady that was there that uh, spoke Russian, and uh, she was listening very carefully, and an inquirer, as we call her, asking about uh, who Jesus was and what he did. And, and I can remember clearly, I can see her face also, as she mm. had tears in her eyes and said, uh, tonight uh, I gave my life to Jesus. And he's my Lord and Savior. So as we watch all that's going on there now from the states with our partners there, we are praying that God uh, would protect everyone, but also that their many would be saved, yeah. not just their lives saved physically, but they would be able to hear Christ's church there, the remnant, proclaim the gospel and others be saved. Oh, that's such a good word. And uh, you talk a lot about, especially on ministry in the marketplace, you talk a lot about the you want to encourage people to share their faith at work, right? Like that, mm -hmm. like it's not yes. just a Sunday thing. And a lot of people are hesitant to do that. So uh, I, I would love for you to give some encouragement as to why it's important for us to live out our faith at work, where we work, where we play uh, with our neighbors, uh, and then maybe some encouragement of people to how they can start to do that, particularly in their work. Right. Well, that's a great question, Brian. I, I tell you, uh, the best the best way to to start every day for a Christian is to, uh, as we get out of bed, the first prayer should be, God, today uh, I'm available, and I want you to lead me to someone that I work with, or at the gym, or somewhere, and I interact with. Lord, would you prepare a divine appointment today and allow mm. me to share the good news of Jesus? That's the first thing that any of us all do as we start our day, because God knows our travels. He's established our goings. He knows we're going to face at 12, at 3, at 5 in the afternoon. Yeah. He knows who we're going to meet. So that's the first thing. It's important to just give that day to God and be intentional. Mm. Intentionality is the most important thing for any witness for Jesus, uh, because if we're not intentional, we will not be, uh, we will not be focused on those opportunities to share Christ. 
you know, we go to church on, on Sunday maybe for two or three hours. Some people go Sunday morning, Sunday night, maybe a Wednesday night. But think about all the hours Monday through Saturday uh, where Christ Church is out in the marketplace. Christ Church, his body is, is working uh, in private companies, public companies, mom-and-pop companies, retail, urban, you know, industrial, office. And God has given Christians the opportunity to be paid by maybe a secular employer, but to on an intentional mm-hmm. and voluntary way, maybe at coffee breaks, maybe, you know, after after hours, maybe in another gathering, maybe during lunch, to be able to reach out to coworkers and just say, hey, how can I pray for you? Mm-hmm. Uh, to begin a conversation. And I have seen the Lord work in so many ways and heard so many testimonies. Christ Church is not a is not a building. You've heard this before. It's a body. Yeah. And each one of us are individual members, and we are to be witnesses. And the workplace uh, is the most unreached people group uh, out there, according to even Billy Graham, things he said before he died. Mm. Mm, so good. It, Dr. Hamlet, again, you're the host of Ministry in the Marketplace, heard Sundays at 9.30 a.m. right here on AM 1160. We know you've interviewed some fascinating guests. Can you tell us a quick story of how these conversations have impacted your own faith? Well, I am blessed because uh, I get to interview these these guests, and some are well known, some are not known at all. Some are uh, in uh, one profession, others in another profession. Mm-hmm. Uh, my my challenge is when I'm interviewing to be, as you guys know, in this conversation, is to direct the conversation, mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. to keep the Q and A going. But I tell you, what happens to me is every time I hear these personal uh, uh, faith work stories and and personal testimonies of of how God is using Christians in in secular jobs and 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 you know non ministry jobs out in the marketplace, wherever their profession, how God is using them, and they share how uh, they've been able to connect with people uh, in a personal way. And and some of the instances have not been what uh, someone would say would be successful Mm -hmm. because someone rejects the gospel. But I am encouraged by knowing that that God is faithful, and he is using his word as it goes out from these guests I have within their different platforms. And uh, it's one message, uh, but it comes in different packages and the creativity that I hear from these different kingdom practitioners I call it these guys and ladies are, are my heroes Dr. Richard Hamlet is the founder and president of Global Ministries Foundation and as a reminder he's the host of Ministry in the Marketplace that you can hear right here on AM 1160 every Sunday at 9:30 a.m. learn more about Ministry in the Marketplace at mitmradio.org and learn more about Global Ministries Foundation at gmfonline.org. Dr. Hamlet, it is great to meet you. Thanks for spending some time with us today. Thank you so much. Have a blessed day. You You as well. And you're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Hey friends, welcome back to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Aubrey Sampson, my name is Brian Fromm. So glad to have you with us on this Friday afternoon. Hopefully you have a great weekend ahead of you. Uh, Yeah, spring is coming. So hopefully we're crossing our fingers. Spring is coming, but hopefully you're looking forward to a great weekend. That's right. That's right. All right, Aubrey, I I found Griffin Gulledge. Uh, He wrote at his uh, substack, right, called This Little Light. he wrote about something you and I have touched on before, but this is a difficult subject. Okay. This is a, this is kind of one fraught with landmines for us as pastors. Uh oh. 
It is simply entitled this, quote, God called me to dot, 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 end quote. Listen to how he starts. He says, when I was in high school, a girl I liked at the time broke the terrible news. God had told her that we should not date one another. Yes. It's difficult to put into words. And he goes on to say more and more. But he said, as I continued growing up in Christian churches and among Christian friends, it became clear that this kind of attribution was the norm rather than the exception. God isn't calling me to serve. God wants you to go to my mission trip. God wants us to be together. God told me that I should. And he goes on and on. He said, at some point. I was tempted to doubt my own relationship with God because Mm. he did not seem to be interested in micromanaging my life Mm. and giving detailed directives on the most minute decisions as he did with my friends. And Mm. so I'm going to get into a little bit more of what he says. But what do you think about this? This is a difficult one, because here's what I want to say. We believe wholeheartedly in a God who speaks. Absolutely. We believe wholeheartedly in a God who is is interested in the minute details yeah. of our lives. It's it's not a God who's like, I can't be bothered with yep. this. So we do believe this. At the same time, I totally get where he, what he's saying yeah. about the manipulative work that sometimes happens uh-huh. or that God told me to do this. That becomes the trump card yeah. to all other things. Yeah. Well, you know, I don't know what to do. Well, God told me you should do this. Well. God told. How do we uh, personally walk this line? How do we help our congregation mm-hmm. walk this line? Because I do, as I said, want to say God still speaks. God still works. God's still concerned. And at the same time, this kind of language can be when used uh, haphazardly can be really dangerous. Yeah, I feel like this was almost like a cliche at Wheaton College. Like, there, you know, you always had at least no. the girls would have <laughs> would have stories of guys saying to them, God told me we should date. Uh-huh. And my friends would be like, well, he didn't tell me. So I and I actually think even though that's kind of funny, I actually think there's a clue in that that part of this is God does speak to us. But what God also speaks through community And so I do think it's important, anything we think we hear from God, it is so important that we go to our Christian community, our trusted Christian advisors, and and first say, I think God's telling me to go this way or that way or do this or that. What do you think? Can Mm. you go before the Lord on my behalf and like affirm this or not affirm this? Because the reality is like sometimes we aren't hearing from God when we think we are. The Mm -hmm. reality is sometimes our hearers are broken and sometimes this can be used manipulatively. Mm-hmm. So I I think the accountability piece of, of being with your Christian community and discerning before the Lord together is actually really biblical and also kind of protects you from this becoming a manipulation or an excuse or what have you. Yeah, you told this story. Uh, I will I will not. I will keep names out of this. Okay. I did know of somebody uh it wasn't in college. I believe it was in grad school or okay. further on. This guy, very godly guy, told a girl, God told me that we're going to get married. Uh, like he told me that we should start dating and get married. They eventually did. Like she, no. that was like the driving force behind dating. They're still married. They have kids. Oh, okay, but good for them. But it has not been easy. It, uh, there's some real uh, difficulties that I believe got just. Um, glossed over because in the name of, of God told him that we are going to get married mm. and I'm going to kind of, we're going to do this together. Mm. And, you know, uh, 
did it? I don't know. That's where this yeah. becomes difficult. Uh, Griffin Gulledge goes on to say, I've become convinced that this kind of behavior, slapping God's name onto our pet causes or using God's name as, a, as an excuse to avoid hard conversations, mm. is not only unhelpful, it is sinful. Mm. It is a violation of the third commandment that says you shall not take the name of the Lord, your God in vain for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. That's Exodus 20 verse seven. It trivializes the gravity of God's words and introduces confusion into how we hear from God. Carl F.H. Henry says it best, talking about the attaching of God's name to political positions that are not explicit in Scripture when he said the clergy have neither a divine mandate nor authority nor special competence to articulate particular programs of politico uh, economic action. And when they pronounce their fallible ideas with presumptive piety, they encourage public doubt about the church's possession of an authentic word of God in the theological and moral mm. realm. Basically saying when you get it wrong, uh, that takes away yeah. all that you have yeah. later. So how do we process this? Aubrey, I've told you a story last week. I believe there are times that God has impressed upon me or Absolutely. even said something to yes. me. But I also know that there are times where I could have used that sort of language in a very manipulative way. I, God told me that we as a church are supposed to do this. Well, what's the yeah. rest of the congregation supposed to go? Okay, God told me, give me a raise. God told me we should build this building. (laughs) God told me we should excommunicate this person, Mm -hmm. whatever else it might be. There's a manipulation to this. So uh, you talked about community Mm -hmm. already. Uh, What are some other what else comes to mind as helpful ways to discern in this conversation? I'm also thinking about this is maybe even isn't answering your question, Brian, but, you know, uh, James talks a lot about as we the tongue and and the integrity of our word, like let our yeses be yeses and our noes be noes. And this is almost part of that. Like you don't need to sort of use God as a crutch um, if you're afraid to have a hard conversation. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Just let your yeses be yeses and your noes be noes. And I'm not saying leave God out of it because, of course, God is involved in all the fabric of our decision making in our lives. But it's OK for you to say no to mm. something without without you having to sort of blame God for it. Like, yes. no, I'm too busy. No, I just can't. Like, it's okay to say no and yes. honor your own boundaries. And I think some people out there need to hear that word. On the other hand, I, I think the other word is if you're going to say yes to something or you're going to assume God is calling you to like take that ground or take that land or buy that building or do that thing. I, I really I think one, it has to be biblical. If it's not biblical, it's not from God mm-hmm. Two, again, you need to discern in community with people who are older and wiser than you and have lived the Christian life longer than you and that you trust. And I also think, um, take some time to like test the spirit. Like, mm. is this really scripture talks about like that, that is this really from you, God, or is this from my own flesh? Show me, affirm it, uh, uh, you know, not necessarily confirmation bias, but like, could you miraculously just affirm this decision along the way so that I know there are steps we can take like that rather than just trusting that first initial, oh, God wants me to buy this building when actually mm-hmm. that would cause you a lot of debt and hurt your family. Well, maybe not. Like you need some wisdom and some time to process yeah, I think, things. I think community and I think what you just said is the most helpful thing. God will never tell you anything that contradicts his already uh, given authoritative yes, word. Yes, amen. They are never going to be in conflict with one another. And when they are, uh, the Bible wins. 
<laughs> Go done. to the Bible done on that done. one. Yes. Uh, Philip Reichen, who's now the president of Wheaton College, he actually said a more serious way to break the third commandment is by using God's name to advance our own agenda. Some Christians say the Lord told me to do this or worse. They say the Lord told me to tell you to do this. Mm. And he said this can easily be false prophecy. And so a difficult one because we want to say God still works. God still speaks miraculously. But we've got to be really careful when we are attributing uh, words into God's mouth. I put it that way. Well, coming up next, we started a new thing a couple of weeks ago, Aubrey, called the Common Good Songbook, mm. where you or I pick a song that for various reasons has had some sort of important or it made us think about something or we want to highlight. We're going to play the Common Good Songbook next year on the Common Good. AM 1160, hope for your life. Music makes us feel all kinds of emotions. Music makes us want to get up and dance. And music transports us to some of the most special times in our lives. Brian and Aubrey are going to share some of their favorite music on the Common Good Songbook. Welcome back to the Common Good. AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. A little dirty dancing, a little bit of this and that. That was wonderful. Whitney our Houston. producer, Debbie, is amazing. That was right back to our childhood right there. So <laughs> The smile on both of our faces is massive is large, right now. It is yeah. large. So this is a new thing that we've started called the Common Good Songbook. Aubrey, here's the way it works. Debbie did a great job talking about it. Basically, we're going to pick... Uh, any genre of song that we want. It could be anything from a hymn to something that you would yes. hear on popular uh, music. You hear it anywhere, uh, and, and or it's from our childhood. It's a song that conjures up emotion. And in fact, I've got somewhat of a dark one today. So we're going to let you oh, go first. But, okay, mine is not a dark but, one. But it's that's the point of this. It's yes. as Debbie said in that intro, songs, music brings about feelings and emotions. So I talked about the hymn, It Is Well, a couple weeks ago, and that it... Every time we sing it, it gives me goosebumps, right? Why does it do that? Because music does that. All right. The yeah. Common Good Songbook. This has been fun the last couple. I, I might be going out on a limb this time, so we're going to see. Okay. But. So I, as you know, Brian, I was over here like torturing myself you trying were. to think of it. I was going, I was, yeah, going really deep and dark and it needs to have a lot of meaning. And I was struggling. And our producer said, well, what's the song you listen to? Just like it's summertime, the tops rolled down in the car, you got the music blasted and this is kind of funny. This is the first song that came to mind. It's a Janis Joplin song <laughs> from the late 60s, early 70s called Me and Bobby McGee. And it's, I mean, obviously an old song. It's not like Part in the USA, Miley Cyrus, which is what you sort of think of when you think of that, like, you know, obviously. Role, right. But this is a song my my parents love this song. So we grew up with them blasting the song. And so we, my whole family knows all the lyrics to this song. And so now we've played it for my kids. And this is definitely like, it's summer, windows rolled down. It's a road trip song, me and my Bobby McGee. And here's one of the lyrics that I love, okay? Freedom's just another word for nothing left to lose. Nothing, it ain't nothing, honey, if it ain't free. <laughs> and feeling good was easy, Lord, when he sang the blues. You know feeling good was good enough for me, good enough for me and my Bobby McGee. And so, actually, recently we were at a family wedding, and it was literally, it was my mom, my dad, my aunt, my uncle, my kids, my sister, all loaded into, like, a massive van, 
all of us singing the song as loud as we possibly could. So that's my song, Janis Joplin, Me and Bobby McGee. Old school. Old okay. school, yeah. But old I, school. When you first said that, I was like, really? You're like, well, you're like in your mid forties, like that. But now that you give the family yes, tie-in, yes. all right, I can, I can go big, with that. I mean, I'm a big fan. I love, I love Janis Joplin and Joni Mitchell and Bob Dylan. Like, I have a whole record collection of their records. So that's kind of my genre of music, besides. 40s Junction, which you know I like. That's too. what I was going so to I mock go there. But school with music. Do you actually have records and a record player? I actually have records and a record player that I've had since I was a little girl. Same record collection that I've added to over time. And, like I have the Heart album when it first came out. I have Bangles Walk Like an Egyptian <laughs> from when it first came out. I have those records still. Uh, that is cheering you on here. There you, you go. Thank I did you. make my kids listen. It was, uh, Walk Like an Egyptian came on the other day in the Chuck car, and I turned it loud, <laughs> and they gave me this look like, really? What is this song? Yep, yep. Like, <laughs> My parents used to do it to me. I'm going to do it to you. It's part of uh, being. It's part of being a, a parent. All right, Aubrey. A couple you said of you're years going dark, ago, right? I am. Okay, and, here we go. And I, I hope I'm, I'm going to try to engage you. This is somewhat pastoral, but uh, a couple of years ago, my kids. You know, we had on a station they were listening to or whatever, and uh, you know, Sean Mendez. Yes. Okay. So big with the kids these big days. With the, the youngsters. And in fact, in 2018, this song was nominated for the people's choice award for favorite song. So okay. this was like a really big song. Yeah. And we started listening to it and it's super catchy. Back then it was on the radio all the time. And then I listened to the lyrics a little bit. And I was like, this song is really like a cry for help. Oh, and it made me wonder, this is where I'm going to get us really serious here. Okay. It made me wonder, like, so is this song popular because it's catchy, or is this song mm. an anthem for, like, teenagers? Hey. Kind of like when we were teenagers and Nirvana's uh, Smells Like Teen yes. Spirit came on. and it, Pearl Jam's Black. Exactly. It was, so, yes. it was all about teenage angst, right? Yes. Let me read some of these lyrics, Aubrey. And again, they're dark, but I, but I want you to know this was a pop song. Okay. That all of our kids were listening to. All righty? Okay. Sean Mendez sings this. Help me. It's like the walls are caving in. Sometimes I feel like giving up, but I just can't. Laying on the bathroom floor feeling nothing. I'm overwhelmed and insecure. Give me something I could take to ease my mind slowly. Just have a drink and you'll feel better. Just take her home and you'll feel better. Keep telling me that it gets better. Does it ever? And then he goes into the lyrics and he goes later, he goes, I'm looking through my phone again, feeling anxious, afraid to be alone again. I hate this. I'm trying to find a way to chill. I can't breathe. Is there somebody who can help me? And he basically it becomes an anthem to I won't give up. It's not in my Mm. blood to give up. Like, that's the point of the song. I'm going to keep fighting. Yeah. The picture he painted of angst and loneliness and purposelessness of probably one of the most popular singers of our kids' right, generations. Right. I remember listening to it, and then I went home and Googled it. Mm. And I was like, mm. hold on a second. Like, yeah. what's going on here? And is this yeah. what this generation's feeling right Well, it's obviously right hitting now. a nerve as popular as that song became. So I think you're probably onto something, Brian. Yeah, he says, I'm crawling in my skin. Sometimes I just feel like giving up. The walls are caving in. And it ends up him going, it's not in my blood to give up. So I'm going to keep going. And I yeah. wanted to yell through the radio the first time I kind of <laughs> listened to it. There's a better answer. Mm. There's another answer. And then yeah. I'm like, I will need to make sure my kids know this. Are they this. okay? Right, 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 right. So when you hear that song that is 
It was the Teen Choice Award for the song of wow. 2018. And I know those lyrics sound dark. It's actually very peppy. It's actually in yeah. the tune. It's a pop song. It's yeah. Shawn Mendes. Yeah. It's not angsty like Nirvana was right, in our right. day. But still, those words being the teen. What, what, help me out there. Help me out. Yeah, I mean, I think, what does he say? Can somebody help me? Is there somebody who can help, help me? me? The I, walls are caving in. I mean, the interesting thing to me is that song is a prayer, right? Mm-hmm. Like, that's a lament. And, of course, what we know, the answer is Jesus. Yes. It's, yes. You know, it's not like, oh, you have to muster up the strength within yourselves, which I am glad he went there. Mm-hmm. I'm glad he didn't leave all of the teenagers in America in, like, deep pain. At least he said, it's not in my blood to give up. But I do think it shows that there is a longing right now in teenagers. There's a there's a depth of, I think, anxiety and depression. And I was with a group of teenagers last weekend and mm-hmm. man, they are hard on themselves. Yeah. These good kids that are like achieving and have good grades are just so hard on themselves. So I I do think it probably wasn't just popular because it was like poppy and catchy, but because mm-hmm. it was. Yeah, it struck a chord. I do think like the the evangelist in me wants to be like it's Jesus exactly. is there Jesus is the one who answers that prayer. But what's interesting is I you know this goes back to things we've said on the show before Brian like there's a longing in everybody mm-hmm. for someone who's there to help you and make sure you're not alone and help you from those dark feelings and what we know is God has placed that longing in us That's to point right. us to Jesus. That's right. So I, anyway, I know I took us a little darker yeah, than we like to wow. normally do in the common good songbook but I, good, that Ryan. song, I heard it again the other day on the radio, and I, immediately I was like, uh, uh, "Like, what's this say? Yeah. What is this? What is the window we're getting mm. into popular teen culture right now?" As somebody who has three teenagers, or I'm um, going to here in May, yeah. three teenagers in the house, like, is this what they're feeling? And like you said, it's not the answer is not in his blood; right. it's, it's in the blood of Jesus. Ooh, it is a preach good, right there. Ryan. He answers Jesus, and like you said, we need to hear this in our kids. Uh, and talk. Anyway, that's the Common Good songbook. You're listening to The Common Good on AIM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Aubrey Sampson alongside my co-host, Brian Fromm. And we are about to do one of our favorite things to do top each five. and every week. That is a top five list. Top five, top five, top five, top five. Top five things with Brian and Aubrey. Brian, the Screen Actors Guild Awards were earlier this week Mm -hmm. and uh, Oscar season is here. The Oscars are in March. And so we thought we would do top five Oscar winning movies. So you found a list. Top five that we like. That we like. Our favorite top five Oscar best picture. You found a list of every Oscar winner throughout time, the history of the Oscars, and we are picking just our favorites. That's right. For best picture. So this is only best picture. Only best picture. And this is movies we like that we're not going, oh, I think this is the greatest movie. Nope. I, I, these are of the list. These are my favorite movies of them. Yes. And that's just my own personal preference. Yes. There you go. And this was hard. This was hard for me to narrow down. A lot harder for you because I have, I went through the list and I've not seen Uh, a lot of them, including, as I said last week, Lord of the Rings. (laughs) Which was on the list. So. Okay. But I do uh, have a lot of honorable mentions. I do too. I do too. Okay. um, Brian, why don't you start for us? I started at number five. My number five one was difficult because uh, I could have. Put some other ones in there from my um, honorable mention list. But in the end, uh, and this movie was a little questionable at times, but I'm going with it anything anyway. I went from the Oscars winning Best Picture in the year 2000, American Beauty. Ooh, 
scandalous. It was. It was. Wow. I wouldn't watch that movie with your children around. Nope, definitely not. But uh, and now Kevin Spacey, you know, oh. got some issues. But Cancel back culture. then, that yep. movie and the ending of it, you're like, whoa. Yes. So American Beauty. Okay, American Beauty. Wow, Brian, you you went dark. I didn't expect that from you. All right, not my next ones uh, though. My number five is a delightful film from 1999, Shakespeare in Love. I've probably seen that 25 times. I love that movie. I almost put it in. Really? Yes. Although it didn't even make my. Now they say it didn't even make my honorable mention list, but I did like that movie. Yeah, it's such a such a good movie, and I like how it just cleverly like mixed Shakespeare's plays and real life and history of England. It, it was great. I loved that. Love, love, love. All right, that number movie. four. A movie that has very few rivals in the sense of what this movie was like. Like okay. The, like uh, the direction of this movie. And this was one of the years where there were so many good movies up, popular movies like Shawshank Redemption and Pulp Fiction and others. Ooh. But the winner that year, Forrest Gump. Oh, that's a great movie. You remember when that movie came out and you were watching it going, I love this movie, but what's going on? Because <laughs> we were fairly young when it came we're out. High school. Yeah, high yeah, school. yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. That was a great movie. Yes, Forrest Gump. And, you know, it spawned many lines that people yes. repeat. But you're like, wait, he's running across the country and now he's playing ping pong in China. And now, yeah, love that was Forrest Gump. Also, if I remember correctly, one of the first movies where there were like real clips of history oh, maybe. in a movie. And so, like, the cinematography was new for the time. So okay. That was very, very exciting. Okay. Um, my number four, man, I love the two actors in this movie. In fact, if any of their other movies were on here, I would have added them to my list. This is from 1974, The Sting. Mm. What's going to be interesting here is I'll, you and I are so different that I want to see if we cross over on any, because it's a very defined yeah. list. This is not like an endless list. Right, right. Okay, The Sting. Number three for me. Uh, number three from 2001, Gladiator. Oh, Gladiator with uh, old Russell Crowe. Russell Crowe. Yeah. That movie was so good. So I remember so in my mind, I'm, I'm like, yeah, I liked Gladiator. If you asked me what Gladiator was about, I couldn't tell you. It's about a gladiator. <laughs> <laughs> he was fighting. Yeah, but do you remember it's also kind of resistance. And was standing. Joaquin Phoenix in that he movie? He was the emperor. Okay, yes. it's coming. Things are, I'm remembering things. Or the mayor things. or the governor or whatever. But I'm yes, remembering things. Yes. Okay. All right. Gladiator. Gladiator. And that also is Elizabeth Taylor at the Oscars going, Gladiator. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you have a good memory, Brian. Okay. My number three. This is a little dark for me, but this is actually one of my favorite movies ever. And I've also watched it 8,000 times. Okay. 2007, The Departed. Matt Damon, Leonardo DiCaprio. The good Good movie. If you had to guess, do you think that I've ever watched one time The Departed? I'm shocked you haven't, because I feel like you would like that movie a lot. Yeah, I should. I have not. You haven't seen The Departed? Nope. I watched it two times in a row. I said, this movie is so good, I have to watch it again right now. And I did. The first movie that that happened for me was Usual Suspects. <laughs> nice. Wait, nice. he's Kaiser Sosa. He's Kaiser Sosa? <laughs> All right, what are we at? Number two. Number this will two. not surprise you. This might just surprise you that this isn't number one for me. Okay. This is the oldest of mine on my list. 1977, Rocky. Oh, so I was shocked to see Rocky on the list. Yeah, the first Rocky I is. I did not know it was an Oscar winner. Now, ironically, it is not my favorite of the Rocky movies. And so okay, okay. that's why I didn't put it number one. But okay. Rocky one holds up. Yeah. It is and it was so groundbreaking. Obviously, this is the year we were I was born, so mm-hmm. it might not I don't it's not like I knew when it came out. Yep. Uh but it is groundbreaking and I just love the entire Rocky series, at least up through Rocky Four. So Okay, all right. Yeah, that doesn't surprise me you have Rocky on there. Okay. 
My number two, this is my most contemporary movie on my list from 2014. This is a gut-wrenching movie. I sat in the theater and bawled like a baby. It's hard to watch, but everyone should see it. 12 Years a Slave. I saw it. Yeah. In fact, I watched it on an airplane (gasps) flying to Rwanda. You did not. I did. Whoa, Brian. I did. Uh, Fabulous movie. But yes, difficult. Difficult. Amazing movie. All right. Number one, uh, 1996. Uh, This is uh, every guy's favorite movie. Uh, This came out my freshman or sophomore year of college, my freshman year of college, and we would go find it in dollar movie theaters for wherever we could. I saw this movie. Favorite movie. What is it? And it is also every every men's ministry's favorite thing to go. Braveheart. Braveheart. As soon as you said men's ministry, I was like, Braveheart. It's Braveheart. Oh, wait, I can do my honorable mentions, though. <gasps> oh, Let me give you my honorable mentions. Yes, about, sorry about that, before, Brian. But then I'll, I'll remind you okay, of my number one. Yes. So I had a bunch. It's weird, Aubrey. I feel like all of my movies are from like 94 to like 03 because they okay. were doing movies that people like us actually watched. Okay, interesting. And then it kind of changed with, you know, the shape of water. What, what, what was that? That was so, kind of a strange movie. I agree. Uh, so I here's in no particular order my honorable mention. Uh, Chicago. Great movie. Uh, A Beautiful Mind. Yes, good movie. So, like, again, American Beauty, Gladiator, Beautiful Mind, Chicago were in succession, like, in years. Oh, wow, those were good years for you. Yep, yep. Good years for Brian Fromm at the movies. Uh, Here's one honorable mention, but I actually like this movie, and a lot of people, this is a polarizing movie, but I'm pro-Titanic. Oh, Titanic, I know. I love Titanic. It's not on my list, but it's it's a solidly good movie. Uh, he, the ship doesn't make it, just so you know, at the end. <laughs> Spoiler alert, Brian. Uh, this isn't a movie you like, but you appreciate. And that being Schindler's List. Yes. And then I will end with Rain Man. Dustin oh, yeah, Hoffman. Yeah, yeah. There yeah. you go. Okay, there good. you go. There's okay. my list. Number one, Braveheart. And number one, Braveheart. Okay, I'll do my honorable mentions. A 1943 Casablanca. Sure. Love that movie. My mom and I watched that a lot growing up. A 2009 Slumdog Millionaire. Mm-hmm. Fantastic movie. Never seen it. 1966, your wife will like this. Sound of Music. She loves it. Yep. Loves it. Yep, that one's just for her. I'm going to add Chicago, because you said that, and I thought, oh, yeah, I love Chicago's that movie. Chicago's fun when it came out. Okay, my number one. This is my favorite film and soundtrack of all time from 1986. Dirty Dancing it, didn't it, win. This is also one of my favorite books of all time by one of my favorite authors of all time. Out of Africa. Mm. I once had a farm in Africa. <laughs> Love Out of Africa. Let's just look at our lists and say our that list. not even our honorable mentions crossed over. Ryan, this we, is, this, we are this says something opposites. about us together. This is why here. we make a good show, right? There you we, go. we balance each other out. All right, friends, uh, look at the Oscar list yourself, all of the Oscar winning movies, and tell us what your favorites were. What did we miss? What do you agree with or disagree with? We would love to hear from you. Coming up next, we are uh, doing another one of our favorite things, looking at the wild and wacky world of the Internet and sharing some crazy stories with you. We'll do that when we return. You're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Here's some weird stuff we found on the Internet. Here's some more weird stuff we found on the web. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Aubrey Sampson alongside my co-host, Brian Fromm. And it is the end of the show, which means we want to bring you something really fun to put a smile on your face. 
Something that we've been doing lately is exploring stories from the wild and wacky Wild West of the Internet. Mm-hmm. Our executive producer, a guy named Keith Conrad, sends us these stories that he digs up from somewhere on the Internet. And this is the first time Brian and I are ever seeing them. So when we are sharing them with you, this is the first time we are looking at them. That's right. And so they they uh, bring us some joy as we read them. So, um, Brian, do you want to go first or do you I'll want me to? First, All right. out of New York. Doctors find tooth growing inside man's nose, causing his breathing problems. Stop it. This redefines nasal cavity. (laughs) A man who was struggling to breathe was flabbergasted after Mount Sinai surgeons discovered a half inch long tooth growing inside his right nostril. Stop it. The unnamed 38 year old New York man had reported to the doctor after experiencing breathing difficulties for several years. There, an examination revealed that the patient had a deviated septum when the partition between the nasal passages is pushed to the side, as well as bone-like growths in the nose. These complications were vexing as the patient didn't sport any visible facial trauma or abnormalities. In order to get to the root of the problem, <laughs> a nasal exam di- vi- done via tube-like instrument, uh, they fa- they discovered a hard, non-tender white mass poking up through the floor of the right Stop. nostril. In layperson's terms, this fellow had an incisor <laughs> inside the, in the wine wafter. <laughs> it's funny. So anyway, they had to get rid of it. Hopefully, he's going to be well, but... Do you brush that tooth? I don't know. He had a tooth in his nose. Okay, that is the stuff of nightmares. I literally would die. I mean, I would have dreams about this. This is a terrible story. I figuratively die, die, but I literally have (laughs) dreams about stuff like this. This is terrible. Okay, out of New York again. New York lottery player collects his second $10 million prize Mm. in three years. Brian this is the 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 game is rigged, I think, Seriously. Brian. A New York man collected a ten million dollar prize from a scratch off lottery ticket just three years after winning that amount from another scratch off game. Juan Hernandez of Uniondale told New York lottery officials he bought a ten million dollar deluxe deluxe scratch off ticket from the Stop and Shop store in Hempstead and discovered it was a ten million top prize winner. Hernandez couldn't help feeling a bit of deja vu. He previously won $10 million from a $350 million cash spectacular scratch-off ticket he bought in 2019. The two-time winner took his most recent prize as a lump sum payment of $6 million after the required withholdings. I think the lesson in this is we need to get to know Juan Hernandez he and says, follow him around. He's got good luck. He says, I'm still trying to spend the $10 million <laughs> I won in 19. That's crazy. Oh, man. Good for oh, him. Oh, Florida. Florida never go. disappoints. Oh, Florida, we love you. Florida man caught on camera shoplifting RM5 400 crossbow by stuffing it down his pants. No, 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 no. A Florida man who shoplifted a crossbow, which he stuffed down his pants, was caught on camera. Security footage of a true value store uh, in Mims on February the 6th shows Darren Durant cramming a large Raven Rio bow down the front of his sweatpants, which barely <laughs> held around his hips and resulted in an obvious bulge. As the uncreative thief made his exit, the crossbow's handle was seen poking out of the waistband and they stopped him. Store workers became suspicious uh, when they noticed two bows had been stolen and they checked surveillance footage. They could see him doing it. He has two prior felony convictions of theft, uh, but he is not a very smart criminal. Obviously, there you not go. a very Stealing good a crossbow. Thief. There you go. I mean, I'd be a little nervous to put a crossbow down my pants. I'm not going to lie. Like, 
I'm assuming not it's not armed, but like you are. I'm not going to argue yeah, with that one. Yeah, for I'm, sure. That's a that's that's wild. Okay, another Florida story. Oh Ryan. yes. Oh no! A woman steals a fourth grader science project from the driveway. A thief was caught on camera stealing a fourth grader science project from his parents' driveway. The incident took place Sunday in the San Carlos Park neighborhood near Fort Myers. Melissa Tharp said her son Gabriel won last year's science fair, was hoping for a repeat by turning a globe into a solar oven, trying to bake cupcakes in the sun. It was a lot of effort. We've been working on it on and off for a couple of weeks now, said Tharp. There were a lot of materials involved just to put it together. She went back inside to grab her phone just before 1.30 p.m. The oven and the cupcake were gone. <laughs> I thought one of the neighborhood children picked it up to play with it, she said, but the camera capers weren't kids. When she checked her home security cameras, it showed a woman getting out of a car, pulling up to the driveway, grabbing the solar oven and the contents inside before taking off. Tharp and her children drove around the neighborhood but could not find the items or the woman. I was hoping it was just an accident. They would see this as my son's science fair project. And would return it, Tharp said. I feel like that's just a, like a dog ate my homework excuse. Like the kid didn't do the project. This is their feel, big story. I feel <laughs> like it is the draw of a cupcake. This person <laughs> drove by and went like, wait, is that a cupcake? And maybe it was starting to smell of a cupcake. Yeah, yeah, fair, fair. She could see it and like just had a, a, a hankering for a yeah, cupcake. Yeah, or she got a thing for science projects. Or it just didn't work, as you said. So <laughs> could, that would be revolutionary if we could cook cupcakes Cupcakes outside by the sun. of the driveway? Yeah, that's a game changer I right there. I think it's going to take a while. But. <laughs> All right, last one is out of Michigan. A Michigan woman turning 100 adds another tattoo. Come on. A Michigan woman will soon celebrate a milestone birthday. How old? Look at her decorative upper arm. Gloria Weberg has New York, New York 1922 tattooed on her left arm, the year and place of her birth. Uh, Weberg is turning 100 on March 2nd, not a typical age to visit a tattoo artist, but that's what she has done every 10 years since turning 80. Wow. Her birth year in New York is under a goddess representing Mother Earth added at age 80 and among seven stars representing her children, which she added at 90. Come on. Weberg and her late husband raised their family in the Chicago area. She got a college degree at age 55 from Chicago State. And worked as a social worker. They moved to St. Joseph's 30 years ago. She says this. My secret is being active. To be aware of what's going on in the world in every way. From what my children were doing. Their education. How important that was to me. She performs aerobics while watching TV news. And regularly enjoys a glass of red wine. A tattoo at 110? Probably something like, are you still here? Or (laughs) I'm still here, she said. This picture of her, she looks like she's 60. Yeah, she looks so young. She does not look like a hundred. This can't be her. Anyway, getting a tattoo. Would you get a tattoo? At what age would you get a tattoo? Uh, I have a tattoo. Uh, At what age would you get a tattoo to remember your year? Or like to go, I'm this age. I'm now going to get a tattoo. I feel like 50. That's like... that's coming in off. a few years. I feel like 50 is the next tattoo. What about you? At what age would you get a tattoo to commemorate? I don't think I would. I'm not a tattoo you know, you feel person. Like, it seems like you're not a tattoo guy. But, okay, if you had to get a tattoo, Brian, what would it be? Oh, it would be something. Cre- I don't actually know, but I think it would be something creative to uh, to memorialize is the wrong word to uh, commemorate my children. Yeah. Oh, that's and my nice. family. I think it would be something. What that would look like. I don't know. It's either that or I'm just going to get a big eagle on my back. Okay, I feel like eagle on the back. We all can't wait for (laughs) that. All right, well, thanks so much for joining us, everybody. Today, we'll be back again on Monday from 4 to 6 p.m. 
For Brian Fromm, I'm Aubrey Sampson, and you've been listening to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.